Hello and welcome to No Holding Back with me, Susan Estrich. Each week I'll have the privilege of talking with some of the biggest names from the worlds of media, politics, and law. Nothing is off the table. I'll be speaking my mind and encouraging my guests to do so too. Today I'm joined by one of the biggest names in law, a rising star who just launched her own law firm, Danya Perry, Danya Perry Law. She's represented some of the biggest names in law and last week, last month, just won a big victory for a client I've been working on, a case with Leon Black, and is renowned in legal circles for her representation of lots of big names. And Danya Perry joins me today from New York. Danya, it's such a pleasure to have you on No Holding Back, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. As as you know, you're not just one of my favorite lawyers, but one of my favorite people. So I am I'm very lucky um, to be here today. Danya, you have to tell me, Donald Trump. It took decades, decades for E. Jean Carroll to get to court. She finally gets to court. She makes her case. Decades later, she finally gets a jury of her peers and his peers to convict him or to find him liable for sexual assault. He goes out there. He's convicted of sexual assault. That same night, he goes out and attacks her, and his numbers go up in the polls. Has anything changed in our society? Well, I think what's changed or what reflects a change in our society is the fact that this jury of his peers, uh, mostly men, unanimously voted to hold him responsible for rape that took place decades ago or sexual assault, as they found. That would not have happened back, you know, in the in the mid 90s, or I think it's highly unlikely that it would have happened. I think the tides has shifted so much where we're at a point now where she didn't have any forensic evidence of it. She didn't have recorded evidence. She didn't have a paper trail. What she had were two outcry witnesses who she had told in nearly real time. And she had an incredible um, presentation. She, well, I, I use incredible in the sense that it was very well done, but yes, it was precisely credible. And the fact that that Donald Trump did not mount much of a defense also and didn't even bother to show up in court obviously must have hurt him with that jury as well. So I think we have made a lot of inroads and a lot of progress. I think Donald Trump is what we call in the law sui generis, is unique. He's his own um, case study that he went out there that very night and said things that are at least arguably defamatory and continue um, to, you know, bring this barrage of assaults against this this woman, this plaintiff, E. Jean Carroll, uh, is not going to serve him well, perhaps in the very short term with a little bump in the polls or at least no evidence that it's hurt him in the polls. But look at what's happened. The, the judge has granted E. Jean Carroll leave to amend a complaint and to bring those further defamatory statements as additional counts or causes of action against him. So we'll see. It seems he's, he thinks often it's, it seems in terms of next news cycle, but not in terms of larger legal strategy. But what does it say about our society that on the one hand, 
It's true, as you say, Tanya, that this case could never have been brought 30 years ago. I mean, she'd have been laughed out of court. Everybody would say she has no corroboration, she has no proof. Heck, she can't even remember what day this happened. So she would have been laughed out of court, no question about it. So yes, things have changed. But on the other hand, he walks out and he, you know, he goes after her and his numbers go up. I mean, what kind of society are we? And what does it say that he's the front runner for the Republican nomination for president? I mean, have things changed that much? It it was particularly cringy um, to hear him speak at that CNN town hall and to see the reaction and hear it live, to hear the people laughing at her and at his despicable remarks about her. I don't think that's a larger societal issue. I think that really does speak to his particular base and, and his particular, we'll call it genius, for riling up that base and playing to them and giving them what, what it is. That's a that lot they of like. people. That isn't just a few people. That's forty percent of the American public. How is it that we've gotten to the point as a society where we are so divided that you can have forty percent of all Americans who still think it's somehow funny that you've got this woman who is now how old in her late seventies who's describing a horrific event that a jury that was, I think, doing its job found that actually happened. I mean, he didn't convince even one juror that this didn't happen. And if you accept the jury's verdict that this really yucky, cringeworthy event happened to this poor woman when she went shopping and this man forced himself on her in the dressing room. I mean, it's disgusting. And they make fun of her. What does it say about our society that we're divided about this? And 30 years later, she's a joke line to 40% of the American public. I know we're supposed to listen, and what did Chris Lick, the president of CNN, say? We're supposed to understand that you know, that these are real Americans who believe this. But I find that so hard to understand. I, 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 I try to listen and understand it. I just don't get it. Do you? I'm with you. I, I, it, was, it was gut-wrenching to watch and to hear. I don't know what the polls are. You, you, it sounds like you're closer than I am. But about the E. Jean Carroll case in particular, I would imagine that there is a subset even of Trump's base, that was disgusted by that. I have to believe the evangelical subset and and some other, you know, women. Having said that, they still are willing to support him. So I don't know if, you know, this is not, I think, the issue that will make or break his um, campaign, you know, his his reelection prospects. Clearly, you're right that there is a large um, subset of the population that, you know, will believe everything he says, including that he did not assault E. Jean Carroll. And that is okay to laugh at someone who ha- has brought forth at least credible claims. It's, it's at this point, there's no question that they're at least credible because a jury said so. Um, so I'm with you on that. I don't have any answers to that. I, 
you know, I, I find it as, as horrifying as you do. I certainly don't have an answer for how to make that shift. I mean, I think the work that you've been doing for decades and that I'm trying to do now, hopefully will, you know, move, um, move the tide, but it's, you know, it feels sometimes like we're working, you know, in, in, in such small increments and it does seem sometimes like there's, you know, a step forward and two back. So it can be very discouraging, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing the work. That's all I can say about that. Let me ask it the other way around. There's lots of people who say to me that Me Too has gone too far, that, you know, we've gone too far, that when you see somebody like the case I always get asked about is Al Franken, that somebody like Al Franken, the former U.S. senator who was canceled, as it were, for what looks like a Saturday Night Live skit when you're really look at it, that the Me Too movement has just gone too far. And you and I worked on a case, worked on a case together for Leon Black, who was, as he described it, a piñata for two years when he went through two years of allegations and spurious allegations that had no basis in fact, that finally got thrown out of court last month after you know, really two years of being knocked around in the press. And, you know, you have to balance. There are cases that are long overdue and should have been brought years ago and never were brought, and there were cases that never should be brought in the first instance. And how do you draw that balance? You've been on both sides of this one, Danya, for a long time. And how do you draw that balance? It's a delicate one, for sure. I, you know, like all, I think, societal sea changes, it, it, it does seem to me, as it does to you, that in some, in some instances, there has been, say, an overcorrection. And this notion, you know, I believe women, I absolutely believe women. I think most women would not make a claim of, of sexual assault if it were not true. That, but the notion that we should believe all women all the time and the, the other side of that coin is do not believe men ever, that of course doesn't work. Women are people. People sometimes lie and people sometimes have motivations that do not appear, you know, at first, at first blush. They can be, you know, it, it can be passion. It can be revenge. It can be money. It can be so many things. So I just think it's very important to really, really not just kick the tires, but look under every rock and make sure that there's a fair shot on both on both sides and let the justice system do what it's supposed to do, which is really supposed to find out the truth, but not, you know, pre, you know, not assume in advance, not prejudge. Um, what it is just by the mere fact of an allegation. Because, you know, as we've seen with our joint client, Leon Black, these allegations, the, the, the moment I looked at them and looked underneath them and looked around them and, and really did the work, it, it was immediately clear to me that this was uh, motivated in bad faith, that this was not true, that this it seemed to me in my in my opinion at the time that this was a stick up job and that it had gone too far in this case again that's not to say in every case or even in most cases but i do think it's it's important to have an open mind i rarely take defense side cases as you know 
Um, my, my, my predilections just usually land me on the plaintiff side of the work, but every once in a while, I'll find one like Leon Black's case where I say, actually justice is being inverted and perverted here. And let's see what we can do, um, to, to, to try and sort this out and, and let the facts actually shake out without all of this prejudgment in a way that has been absolutely ruinous and and almost you know as much as 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 we can try and he can try it's just it's very hard to get a reputation back that our client spent a lifetime gaining for himself so it's that's you know that's kind of where i fall out is really just as with most things when you know i'm a former prosecutor now i'm a plaintiff's lawyer i like to kind of build a case and look at all the facts and pressure test them and not presume an answer, not have a self, you know, a, a, like self-fulfilling um, theory, just, just, just figure out what actually happened. And then once you kind of know, then you're going to do everything you can to back that up and make the strongest case as, as we did for our clients. Did you take Keith for being on the defense side? Oh yeah, I, I certainly did. You know, I'm kind of used to that. After I left the U.S. Attorney's Office, where I was in the Southern District of New York for 11 years, and then I went to the State Attorney General's Office uh, for, for a relatively brief period, um, did some work in-house, and then went over to the defense side, as, as many do. And I took on some really tough cases. Uh, my first trial in, in the defense seat was on behalf of Michael Avenatti. Um, he was, I believe, to this day, wrongly accused of extorting Nike in a case that had so many nuances, so many warts on that case. I, I believe to this day he, it never would have been brought, but for the fact that he was who he was, he had the profile he did, and frankly, there were a lot of other investigations going on a, around him that he eventually was convicted of, but that it was a a very novel theory to prosecute a lawyer, plaintiff's lawyer, who made very aggressive pitches to the other side. I, it had just never been done before. And I got a lot of heat for taking that case. I then represented Michael Cohen and still do. Took a lot of heat for that. Took a lot of heat uh, for, for Leon Black. But I believed in every one of those cases. And at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm, I hold very steady, very firm, and very strong. Um, when I believe in a case, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can for my client. And I think in all three of those cases, it bored out. Michael Avenatti got almost no time um, based on our advocacy um, for the that Nike prosecution. Uh, Michael Cohen, I got him out of prison when he was wrongfully remanded into solitary confinement for daring to write a book that was critical of, of then-President Trump. And um, working with him on a case right now that Trump brought against him for $500 million, once again, for daring to act as a witness in the Manhattan District Attorney's prosecution of Trump. And, you know, so I'm going to keep on, on fighting where I have the strength of my convictions. Good for you, darling. Good for you. I, I learned from the best, Susan, and that's from you. Well, no, you know, you are the best. And, you know, I want to talk to you also about what you're doing as a woman, because you know, I sometimes feel like we've been fighting this fight for 40 years and we're still fighting the same fight. You're out there as a woman starting your own law firm, climbing the slippery pole, 
And when I look at where we stand as women in the legal profession, we've still got a long way to go. Tell me where you think women are in the legal profession right now. I'm not going to lie. I think it has been really, really hard to be a woman in in a very male-dominated alpha world of, of, of trial lawyers, of litigators. Um, I, I started out at, I think, the best litigation firm in the country and in the world, Paul Weiss. And I was lucky enough to have phenomenal mentors there who, who helped me and, and were good enough as mentors that they, you know, if you love someone, let them go. They, they helped me realize that what I really should do to get my, my trial lawyer legs was go serve in, in, go into the public sector. And so I applied both to the federal defender's office and to the SDNY. I got, I got that job offer first. I would have been very happy on the other side. And I was there for 11 years, including as chief trial counsel and as deputy chief of the criminal division. We did more trials there than you can really get most places. And um, I learned how to do it. And while I was there, it's a unique atmosphere where every time I had a kid and I had three while I was there, I was promoted just by accident. You know, it just the, the timing happened, but it didn't it was one of those environments where it did not hold me back. So that was, I think, one of the few. And that was the biggest break of my career because I was able to have those babies you know, in that in that very difficult stage of infancy and toddlerhood, while I was there, and you can you can actually you have a lot of agency over your schedule while you're there. I worked, you know, day and night, night and day, um, but I was able to shape my calendar more than you can if you're working for big institutional clients at a you know big law firm. So that was an amazing break for me, and then I you know I had a kind of a big shot. Um, job both there and then in in the state um, prosecutor's office. And so by the time I got out, I had kind of already done a lot of the work. And then I was able to, now I'm doing my own thing. I've got my own firm. I bring in, um, it's a woman-owned firm exclusively. I try very hard to mentor young women, to bring them in, to give them opportunities in the same way I had mentors before me who, but for whom I would not be here. I really believe in paying that forward, doing the same, because it's very hard to do on your own unless you get some of the lucky breaks that, that I had. And I'm not, I'm not saying it was all luck. I, I, I worked my butt off. I, I, you know, I, put in, I put in the time, and I, I learned the hard lessons. And yeah, some of that meant time away from my kids, who are now all three teenagers and still require a lot, and especially as a single mom. You know, it's it's not I'm not going to pretend it's easy, but it's so well worth it. And I, you know, y- you did it, Susan, it was probably even harder when you were doing it. And it doesn't get easier, but we can we can out, you know, we can put our our hand out and to help. And 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 that's, you know, I think there's so many unbelievably talented young women out there who want it and who are hungry for it. And. I'm just here to provide as much opportunity and mentorship as I as I can to those who'd like it. See, I think that's phenomenal, and that's what has to change and has changed, is that there are more Danias out there. And, you know, when I was coming up, there were so few women older than me. There was just literally, like, no one. 
and I think there are more of us. And as I used to always say, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other younger women. And I think there were more people like me and more people like you and that that's the change that has to happen. And I can only say good luck to you in everything you do because I'm so strongly supportive of everything you're doing. How can we make more change happen? I think we just got to, you know, keep on keeping on. I think um, we're both trying to do it. Um you know, I I know that it's still a very difficult environment at a lot of big law firms. I think they're all very well-meaning. But at the end of the day, there isn't that much space um, for, 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 for women and for, you know, um, what is, you know, always called diverse um, lawyers. But people of color, in particular, my, you know, minorities um, in this space, they're, they're just... You know, it's 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 a. I don't understand all the complicated reasons. Um, well, I should say, to me, it doesn't seem that complicated. It doesn't, you know? but the numbers are lousy. <laughs> I mean, you look yeah, at the, the numbers. numbers terrible. At at the, at the top, the numbers are just terrible. The numbers of women CEOs, thirty-seven out of the Fortune five hundred. I mean, you look at that and you just shake your head. Thirty-seven out of five hundred. I mean, that's shocking to me. You look at the number of women equity partners, 13%. And that's equity partners, and you look at managing partners, and it goes lower. And you look at the number of women coming out of law schools, and it's over 50%. I mean, that's what you have is equality at the bottom. You look at the way women college graduates with kids make less than women who went to high school and don't have kids. I mean, it's still the same penalties for being having kids and having, you know, a career. You know, you, you have one or the other or you pay the penalty of having kids still. And so many of the things that we fought against and thought we changed haven't changed at all. And it's really... Uh, I mean, it takes decades, and yet the whiplash from the backlash, I don't know what you call it, but it's its still quite striking. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it has to be that young women find, you know, as best they can, alternative paths, as, as I think both of us did, where you do have, it's not a question of, doing less work than male counterparts. I, I feel like I work twice as hard, as hard, you know, I was sitting there in trial rooms, you know, expressing breast milk, you know, and, and prepping, you know, for my witnesses. Like it's not that I wasn't doing it. It's that I had that freedom to do it a little bit more in my own time, you know, when my kids were babies. And now I have that freedom too, because I have my own firm. So I do think that in big law, when you've got an institutional client who has a deadline, the person who's there, um, you know, in their seat or, you know, around the clock is probably the person that's going to get promoted. Maybe not the person who has to go home, feed the kids and then stay up, you know, later into the night that they're not getting, you know, maybe the same FaceTime. I, I don't know what it is. I think there just needs to be more flexibility because certainly in my experience, Women are are willing to do the work. I, you know, my own experience and those of many of my female compatriots, we work harder um, because we're we're doing it all. 
And, and I think, you know, we're willing to do that, but we need a little bit more leeway in terms of how we do it um, and when we do it and a little bit more agency. And that's, that's what's difficult in, 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 in big law. It just, it just is. I, I do think there's a little bit more um, of an understanding that to get this, this talent pool, and, and, and these women are unbelievably talented, and to get that diversity of opinion, perspective, et cetera, um, they, they do have to give a little bit more of that kind of agency, that freedom, and not to discount that you know, that work or that time frame, that timetable. And I think that's happening, but yeah, it's, it has been in baby steps and it's, it's frustrating. It's I think, very frustrating. So many of us. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I didn't get into big law until my kids were teenagers because I couldn't do it when they were younger. I couldn't have done it. And it's in part because like you, I worked twice as hard, but I worked on my own time and I juggled being a professor and everything like that. Danya, it has been such an incredible pleasure to talk to you. And I just want to boost you to anybody who's listening. Danya Perry Law, you are a role model for so many young women and a mentor for so many more. And I just want to commend you for everything you do and say what a pleasure it is to work with you and to count you as one of my friends and a mentor to me as well. So thank you so very much. Let me just I'm sure we'll talk later on our case. We'll talk later today. You've been listening to Hold No Holding Back with me, Susan Estridge. Thank you to Danya Perry for a great conversation. Tweet us at No Holding Back FM, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share the link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, noholdingback.fm. This podcast was produced by Podcast Partners. You can find out more at podcastpartners.com. Thank you for very much for listening, and I'll see you next time on No Holding Back. No Holding Back.